0: Hello, I'm Amy Bouhacen, co-director of the Lee Miller Archives and granddaughter of Lee Miller and Roland Penrose. Last time on Love Letters Bound in Gold Handcuffs, Lee was nearing the end of her trip in Romania. Roland had left her early to start preparations in Paris on a touring exhibition of Picasso's amazing work, Guernica. However, international events were ratcheting up and with Hitler's annexation of the Sudetenland, Roland's worries about Lee were reaching a fever pitch. It must have been a relief for him when Lee's next letter finally arrived. So this is um, typed on Lee's deep bluey-purple paper with its matching envelopes. And um, she's in Athens um, writing to Roland in Hampstead, London and is dated the 18th of October, 1938. Darling, bitch face here is a wreck. Boredom, change of country, a new disease, and sheer lonesomeness for you, for travelling, for bad water closets and language difficulties, is doing me in. The rest of Romania was pretty fancy. Harry and I adopted Lena, who went on the trip to the Bukavin with us, making the usual three to share beds and trouble. Harry was sick nearly all the time, and my cold developed into a really good bronchite, with fever which didn't stop me much, but made it very difficult to drive as I hadn't the force to turn the car at stopping speed on bad roads. It seemed to pull knives of fire through my chest. But the trip went on nonetheless, gaily, for fifteen days, all through the Marmures, Transylvania, etc., coupled with at least one adventure a day. And just the day, midnight, when I was saying we'd been let down in our series of adventures with angry peasants, murderous cart drivers, armed bandits, etc., we ran smack into Zigan horse thieves, mud above the battery level, and a night in the drizzling rain just a mile from our destination, a burning gas mine, "'albeit on the wrong road. "'All the chalk cliffs and mountains to the horizon "'lit up by the red flames in waves of light, "'the earth trembling with subterranean shock "'and mad tropical birds flying in and through the flames. "'The whole valley dried out like a new desert or an old planet, "'with weird tunnellings and craters left from explosions "'and efforts to control the disaster.' Tremendous glowing heat from a column of flames, miles high and more exciting than Vesuvius with a great billow of smoke, pools of oil and water with gas bubbling through, only waiting a shock or spark to burst into activity. Sheep and cattle installing themselves in the tropical zone for the winter, and on the hillsides far above, grain and corn waving in the red light. There's no night and the peasants round about have become in one year completely mad and spend the whole night on the hillsides fascinated by the flames, talk philosophy and have nerves from the trembling and rattling of their doors and windows. They think the huge white birds are lost souls and the ones with sense enough to leave the danger zone are drawn back again by the fascination, rather like the Pompeians on the brink of hell permanently. It's been going on for a year now, and I think it's the most exciting thing I've ever seen. I was beggared for pictures, as I only had some horrible NC film I'd picked up in a village. It should be done in coloured cinema. Incidentally, the rain and snow never fall in the Burning Valley, the heat keeping it at bay. I'd arranged that your wire should be sent me from Cook's by Teddy, and that he should read it, so we telephoned from every possible place to Teddy, and of course you'd sent it to the hotel – which wasn't very bright, as I left the second morning after your departure having gotten abysmally drunk with Charlie, Agatha and Harry after your train had left. The war panic didn't impress us in the least, as neither Harry, Lena nor I were directly concerned and anyway very busy travelling. With a few hundred lay, we arranged Harry's military situation on Peter Knobs, which is the town of his birth, They'd been looking for him for eight years, marked as a deserter, and had we reported two days later, nothing on this earth could have been done, as the military authorities would have considered it time of war. Getting back to Bucharest to find all the elegant ladies of the town busy buying the permitted half kilo of sugar in each shop and oil to hoard in case of occupation and shortage again. The women mobilised, and the consulates looked for me. All foreigners listed to leave the country my name heading the list in the papers, as I couldn't be found. Nonetheless, I waited and took my booked boat, with my car and my clicks and clacks on the 26th, receiving naturally a wire at Constanza, calling off my Syrian trip. I gave a two-hour look at Constantinople and spent the night of high tension in Athens with Henry, where they announced the Munich meeting to be held. The ship was overrun with frightened people, all hightailing it for home, sleeping in sick bundles up and down the deck and in the dining salons. Vomit and war talk everywhere. Plus the panic of all the Jews on the way to Palestine. More panicked by the idea of landing in Haifa with the terrorists than by the invasion of the Nazis. Beirut received two hours of tourism from me and we weren't allowed to land at Haifa. I was scared anyway and the natives and immigrants were only debarked at dawn. Most of the trip I had to sleep either in my car or blanket roll on deck, as they stuck two old women in my cabin with me, who ate at each port, and then sprayed the cabin for the next stage of the journey. Fortunately, I missed all the goings-on here of panic, etc., and only arrived in time to hear the funny stories and catty remarks on everyone's behaviour. Of my ten days here, I've already been to Alexandria one night, on a three-day fishing trip to Port Said where I held a heavy pole and steel line from 8pm until 3.30, two nights without ever a bite. I quarrelled with Aziz's friends, bored myself stiff, and the only thing I caught is a skin irritation and rash which may or may not be measles, chicken pox, the itch or what have you. They don't know yet, and in any case they're examining my blood for more serious things. And I still have this slight fever every day, which now is getting alarming in proportion as I'm getting balder and it goes up to 38 now instead of a gentle 37.3. If it isn't something either ridiculous or very horrible, though, I'm off to Syria on Sunday for several weeks. East and I had long conversations about you and my situation in general. The result is that I'm going on this trip, then come back and see what everything is about. He doesn't want to divorce me unless he's sure that I'm going to be happy and taken care of elsewhere. I told him that I'd had enough of marriage for the moment, and I didn't want to marry you until I had at least sufficient adjustment to make up my mind, and that you had a very nice character, and seemingly a great deal of love and patience and willingness to not let me get into trouble. Is all that still so? So maybe I'll come to London to live about the middle of December, We'll go to Switzerland with him for two months and see if there isn't any way we can mend our troubles before splitting up permanently. All this depends naturally on my not being tubercular, in which case I think I will just make it lights out forever, as Davos for several years is worth nothing to me at all as a life. Neither you nor Aziz's patients could be stretched that far. I'm not panicked in the least, and even if I find that I am sick... Tomorrow afternoon when I get the report, I think I will go on quite calmly on my trip, amuse myself, come to see you in London a bit, and then go on travelling a bit more. I hope all the trench digging in London didn't distract the public from the Picasso show, and that it was a whopping success. You haven't written me any about it, although I received the announcement and one letter was waiting for me here when I got home. Give my love to Noosh and Paul, and Triputin, the darling, and to Katya but don't tell Katia that I'm sick as she'll promptly write to Aziz and then I'll never come to London. Houseman and everyone. My photographs are just going to have to wait indefinitely. There's such a mess or disorder that I may have to give up the whole thing and forget it. Don't write me embarrassing wires and I think if you write it, it'd better be to Cook's in Beirut as I'll be there Monday next, all going well. And if I don't go, I can get them to send it on here. I leave Cairo on Saturday and Alex on Sunday, so you'll not have time to write to me in Egypt. I'm not sure that there's a cook's in Beirut, but ask, and at least there's a correspondent. I hope you still love me. Do you? Lovely.
1: Hampstead, 22 Oct 38 My love, "'I woke up this morning dreaming about you, and the dream changed strangely into reality when I came downstairs a minute later to find your letter. "'As a dream, it was odd, too. I dreamt that we were sitting together with other people in the café, you, very beautiful, in a white silk dress with long sleeves, Suddenly, the conversation was interrupted by the entry of two Romanian policemen who had come to arrest you and your white arm, with which you had been pointing at something caught in a chain. My move was immediately to offer my hand to be chained to you, and I woke up. You can psychoanalyse all that for yourself, and it will tell you much longer about my attachment to you than anything else. I have been miserable and snarling all these weeks, what with everybody full up to the ears with politics and a general depression setting in, and worst of all, only one letter from you since you were drunk. I began to feel hopeless, and in desperation sent you a cable. Darling, we must get this straight. You know I want you. My passion for you burns me and makes me miserable when you are not with me. I can't go on like this. So, calmly, I sit down and try to analyse the situation. Because, although I want you terribly, and sure now that it is not just a passing lech, it's no use breaking up your present life unless you want me just as much. So far, we have only shared holidays together. I'm pretty free from complications, duties, responsibilities and what not but any man has to have some work which occupies his energies and I don't yet know how far it would bore you to see me buried in by painting when you might want to be off on a trip so it may be I wouldn't see enough of you if you want mostly to travel. You are quite right not to want to marry again. All that is good for lawyers. The sort of marriage I believe in is one that exists without their help, and I should never attempt to force anybody to live with me by such means. You know enough of your tastes and my way of living to be able to decide. The choice, in fact, remains with you. You know what I can offer you, and what I ask you from the bottom of my heart to accept. But, darling, don't keep me in suspense forever. The news about your health alarms me. I want more news about the doctor's diagnosis. I can't really believe that your incredibly good health during the summer can lead to a disease in so short a time. Unless you have been living really up to the hilt, when I think of your late nights and cigarettes, I hope to God you are going a bit easy on that now, you must let me know the latest news. You know, at any rate, that I should have more than enough patience to see you cured, whatever it may be. Here, there has been a slight recovery of gaiety in the last week. Paul came over alone, as Noosh is still not well. He only stayed for a few days and went back to move house. There have been a few parties one for the opening of Maison's new show of Chirico and Humphrey Jennings, which terminated very late here and then to bed with Peggy Guggenheim, a rather indifferent experience. I took the manuscript to George Antonius, who gave me some pompous comments on the European situation. Katya, poor darling, has been in a home for nerves for the last three months. She is better, and I am going to see her soon." The Picasso show is only doing moderately well, as everybody is still a bit stiff from their scare. But those who do see it are very impressed. Tripotan is trying to make me have a show in Brussels in January, in which case I must get intimate with my paint brushes again. Until now, I have not had much time. Your description of the oil well burning was marvellous. You can write, darling, when it takes you that way. I hope someday you will be able to organise your creative faculties, or I shall take you in hand and edit you. By now you will probably be having a new series of adventures, even more exciting than the last. Do send me a postcard whenever you can, or better still, photos of yourself. I get so sick when I have no news. I am preparing a sort of photo poem for you based on our summer trip. Darling, it's nearly the end of October. If you can come in December, there will be less than six weeks to wait. We can go to Switzerland together as London in the winter won't do you much good. I'm sending this off in a hurry in the hope that it will get to you in Beirut. I love you. I want you. Your Roland.
0: So this is a kind of quick change from Lee. It seems to be quite abrupt and that this, suddenly she's taken herself off to Athens again. And she's staying in the Hotel Grand Britannia and she's writing to Roland uh, in Hampstead in London on their kind of creamy coloured hotel notepaper with their embossed, logo on the top. The envelope's really lovely because it's also cream but on the inside there's this kind of deep mossy coloured green lining Um, and we don't have the exact date on it but it's um, sometime in October 1938. Darling I'm in Athens where are you? I did a bolt by air this far but I've got to go back. But if you had any bright temptations, lures or ideas of where I might meet you or what, I might succumb. I might even go as far as Paris, but I'm afraid not. I'm staying with the Hopkinsons here and they have no telephone yet, out where I am. Though if you'd like to go to Constantinople, I might be able to meet you there, or in Trieste or what. I could easily pretend I just wanted to go to Constantinople or couldn't resist it or think up some other place. Aziz let me go off on this dash, on six hours' notice, as I was lonesome for the hops, crying that I wanted to leave forever, and he thought it would calm me down. Actually, I'm trusted to not go any further, but I might. Must quit. Love always, Lee. I must leave for Egypt by Thursday unless I hear from you. Yours. I receive my mail here and telegrams care of the Hopkinsons at the Legation, British, or here at the hotel if you want to telephone me. You must arrange it in advance with the telephone company and the hotel. I'm in a hurry to get this off so can't write all I want, except that I went to the Acropolis by moonlight and nearly wept, and that I love you. I will keep on writing until the post leaves. I don't know my geography very well and can't quite figure... So this is on completely different paper to any other letters that Lee's written. And it's one of those very thin blue airmail um, letter papers and an envelope, an airmail envelope, which is also that blue colour with those um, little dark blue stripes all around the edge of the envelope. And Lee's writing to Roland from Athens still. And it's addressed to him in Hampstead. The postmark on the envelope is the 29th of October, 1938. My darling, this is my last night in Athens. I've overstayed myself here by almost a week, dithering and shilly-shallying between the airplane to Marseille or to Cairo. I'm leaving at dawn by Imperial for Alexandria. There are a lot of that-is-is, because they have no room if the weather is bad, And I'm sure that if I stay over until Thursday again here, I'll also change my mind and go your direction. It's been a bad blow not being able to meet you. And I know that it's something serious, probably your annulment or something like that. Another month or more or less on top of this separation is a very small margin and percentage on the whole. It's been rather a resolving time and experience here in Greece by doing this bolt and establishing a precedent, especially as I'm returning to Cairo, as I said I would. I'm digging in for my future. I'd missed Alice and Henry so much, and was getting extremely jittery and full of extravagant ideas in Cairo, so I came here. I helped them move from the Hotel Grand Britannia to this new house, which is quite some feat. We made one excursion to the ruins in Corinthia, one to a mountain with snow, Parnas, and I think the only visit to the Acropolis was by moonlight. The museum was very disappointing for large things, but if one had time, patience and warmer, stronger feet, there were soldiers, small bronzes, medallions, red and black vases that were exciting. Yesterday the storms cleared up and we managed to take our picnic lunch just on the hill next to the house with a view of the mountains, islands, sea, Athens, the Acropolis, etc., Halfway through the lunch, a Greek shepherd, complete with crook, dig, sack and thousands of lovely willies. The ram has ears that come out of the circle of his horns. She's done a tiny little drawing on the letter here, and it's got a picture of a, a ram's ear with the horn around it. It's very pretty. We shared our lunch with him, and he milked us fresh sheep's milk, all frothy and lovely tasting and warm, with no goat taste at all. It was Arcadian in Attica. I've done a bit of riding around the hills here. There being no laws of trespassing, the only stops were the great cut-out through the woodies from the storm, and the Acropolis takes a different size and distance what with the mountains changing colour. I've acquired a friend called the Earl of Sandwich, which tickles me no end, and he says you're an ex-fling of his daughter or friend or something. I rather imagine that she must be the cold girl who was trying to write a novel. The Earl of Sandwich was Lord Lieutenant of Huntingdonshire and had been since 1922. He played no prominent part in the Second World War. His daughter was Lady Mary Montague, better known as Faith. Faith had married Philip Booth Nesbit on the 5th of February 1938. The marriage, however, did not go well and was of short duration. In 1940, the couple divorced in San Francisco. I shall miss seeing Paul and Noosh and Man in the midi, but please arrange some sort of reunion in which I can participate later on. Now, by virtue of writing to you and thinking of you, I'm in a state and will go practice hydraulics. Write me your new addresses and where to communicate with you for my next bolt. Aziz writes me that he won't be able to leave for summer, so I should probably have at least the early part in which to diddle around free. Or don't you care? Good night, sweetheart. I love you. Lee As you're about to hear, there must have been quite a delay on post-reaching Roland, not surprising given the tensions in Europe at the time. From what we can tell from his next letter, dated the 11th of November, it would seem that the last letter he had received from Lee was the one we opened the episode with. That means that Roland will have missed all the urgent requests Lee was making on her impromptu trip to Athens. By the time Roland sent this, Lee, hearing nothing from Roland, had gone back to Egypt and started her already delayed trip to Syria with Aziz.
1: My darling Lee, I get so miserably depressed at these long silences from you not knowing where you are, what you are doing or going to do. I'm sending this in the hope that you will find it on your return from Syria, to tell you once more that I want you and expect you very soon. I think of you, dream of you, and make all sorts of plans of things we can do together. At the same time, I keep very busy so as not to fall into a state of melancholy dithering. I have been painting a lot and been to a few amusing parties. Tomorrow I am off to Paris for four to five days to stay with Paul and Noosh in their new house. What about your health? You have never written to me what the doctor said or the result of the blood test. "'In any case, my darling, you need me. "'Just so as to have someone who can mend your car when it's full of water "'and look after you when you are sick. "'The man with sewing machines from Sophia has arrived. "'He pedals away in my hall, making time for your return. "'On the whole, things are a bit better, and people coming to life again. "'But London is not the place to live.' I want to go to America in the spring. I also think of that trip to India, which we are going to do someday. All that is very good, but just, written in the left-hand margin, where to live, I don't really know, nor does it matter. Darling Lee, write soon, come soon. I love you. I want to know if you still love me, Roland. Beekus has asked me to go to Cornwall for the new year, and wants you to come too.
0: Next episode there's a flurry of postcards to Roland from Lee in Syria, and he continues preparations for the tour of Picasso's Guernica in England. The contributor to this episode was Hilary Roberts, Senior Curator of Photography for the Imperial War Museum's London. Roland Penrose's letters were read by Adam Grayson. Lee Miller's letters and the narration is by me, Amy Borgesen, co-director of the Lee Miller Archives, and the music was composed by David Cullen. And the series is produced by Tolly Robinson. This series is copyright the Lee Miller Archives, 2021. All rights reserved.